You're listening to a message from Canby Foursquare Church in Canby, Oregon. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to you. Visit canbyfoursquare.com to learn more. And I love to hike. I always bring home a token. So I brought one of the tokens to show you. And I always look for hearts. I, I try to find rocks that are heart-shaped. And it reminds me of my adventure, of the challenge. And this is kind of my reward. So I come back. And I have, I didn't always do this, but I'm doing it now. But on this rock, I put the Wonderland. It's the hike that I did. It's in the Rainier Forest. And this was um, one of the wonderful big hikes that I've taken over the years. But today, if you wish, um, you may see things on tables and little, and little um, some seats, but on the little tables and round tables, uh, little tokens. And if you want to take a token home today, please do. I have plenty. I am a self-proclaimed um, beach nerd. I love going to the beach. I love being at the ocean. Um, I've had the opportunity and really the great privilege to be on many ocean beach beaches. And each time, my favorite thing to do is to get up early and just to walk along the surf. And in that rhythm of the beach, it's just such a time of meditation, of prayer, of listening. And I just, it, there's something about it that fills me up. And so um, I do have, and I do love to beachcomb. And one of my criteria, and the criteria I had for today in bringing what I brought was that they had to be smooth. It has to be a smooth piece of a shell that's been washed, that's been um, the sand, the surf, you know, all the things that it's been tumbled in has, have taken off all those sharp edges. And I love to think about it like this, in that we, we have that privilege of being tumbled sometimes in life. And we get broken, and there's areas that are rough in our life, and there's areas that are sharp in our life. And when we press in and lean into Jesus and into his word and into community, because a lot of those sharp edges then get to be smoothed out. And so today, um, like I said, I brought some of those things to share with you. Last week, Ryan shared Acts chapter 9. And it was such a good message, such a great message. And one of the things he said is, Acts chapter 9 is so pivotal. And then he said, we have said that about almost every chapter in Acts. <laughs> and it's true, because Acts is pivotal to the church, the growth of the church. And so today, I'm going to say it again, we're going to be in Acts chapter 10, and it is pivotal, but it is pivotal because in Acts chapter 2, the church was birthed. That is the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2. So then what happens is the rest of Acts is showing us how we're growing up, how the church is growing up. All the ups, the downs, the ins and outs, the function, the dysfunction, all the di different things that the Holy Spirit is doing in the church to help the church become the mature church that Jesus had in mind. And so we are going to dive in deep to Acts chapter 10. And I love this passage because this passage opens doors and it crosses barriers. 
It's critical, and it is so critical to who we are as believers on how we respond to the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Luke, the author of, of Acts, um, in chapter 10, is giving us this encounter between two very different people, and it requires something. It requires to go. To go. To fulfill the Great Commission, we have to go. I've, I've always been hung up on this word, and it was in one of our songs this morning, kingdom. I don't know why. You, maybe it's not a big deal for you. But whenever I've heard kingdom in, in a title or a theme or something, I always think, well, what, you know, I don't, it seems ambiguous to me. And I, I've always tried to figure it out. But um, just recently, I heard one of our great teachers of Foursquare, A.J. Swoboda, many of you may have heard of him or read one of his books, but he put it, the kingdom, so simply. He said, the kingdom of God is simply whatever, and wherever God's purposes are happening, that is the kingdom of God. Now, that's pretty simple, right? And you can be sure that sharing the gospel and loving our neighbor is good kingdom principle. The kingdom of God is relational. We can't experience the kingdom of God without relationship. And in this story, we see this demonstrated. We have two completely different groups of people who are going to collide. You have a Roman Italian officer who fears God, and, and then you have a card-carrying, circumcised Jewish disciple. Two very, very different people. And I say card-carrying, circumcised Jewish disciple because Peter did everything, at least he said, he did everything by the book. He's human just like us. So when we say, I would never, or I've always, we know that's not true. So anyhow, <laughs> there's a phrase that's used often in our culture right now. And it's called cancel culture. And I'm not, I want to I preface this by saying that there's times that we have to separate ourselves from certain situations and people because of hurt or destruction that's happened and continue to happen. So I'm not talking about that, but I am talking about how we've canceled people just because they're not like us or we don't understand them or we disagree with them. And I looked it up in the dictionary, what cancel culture is said in the dictionary, and it says this, a social environment in which publicly boycotting or withdrawing support for people, organizations, etc., regarded on promoting socially unacceptable beliefs is widespread practice. And we maybe have, we've experienced ourselves, you know, especially walking through the last few years that people disagreed with us, they canceled us. We didn't hear from them, they went away. God, thank you, Jesus, doesn't operate in the cancel culture. Oftentimes, we operate 
on the assumption that association with people different in view or lifestyle or belief means that we agree with them. No, that doesn't mean that. It means that we're willing to go and love people who are different than ourselves and that God will use us by what we've experienced in him. Let us be unwilling to allow cultural boundaries and barriers to keep us from our neighbors. The gospel should, should and is so compelling that we want to take the gospel to everyone. The Great Commission is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And we can never accomplish that if we always see people as others and not our neighbor. Um, several years ago, when I was getting my nails done a lot here in Canby, and any women um, you know, who does that understands that most of these nail salons, the, the women, the technicians, um, are from Vietnam, and they're wonderful people. I still get my toes done by somebody, and I love her. And we have a relationship, but this one, um, time when I was going for years to see this one um, friend. Her name was Tina. She no longer lives in Canby or works in Canby. But I would go and see her in her little shop. And, and if you've been in any of those shops, you know that there's oftentimes a Buddha when you walk in the door. And, um, and then there's days that you walk in and there's an incense lit or fruit or vegetables, and those are offerings to Buddha. So it's a totally different culture, different belief. And, but we began, I always had her, and so we always talked, and she would tell me her story. I, I heard about her life, I heard about her family, I heard about her ups and downs, her frustrations, and we shared life together. And many, many times I was able to say, Tina, I'm going to pray. Can I pray for you right now? And she would never, never stop me. That was always a welcome thing. She always let me pray for her. And then sometimes I would leave the shop and I would say, after hearing her conversation, I would say, Tina, I'm going to be praying for you this week. It sounds like it's going to be a, a rough one for you. It sounds like you have some decisions to make. And she always welcomed that. Now, there was one day that I went in and she said, Annette, Annette, there's ghosts in my house. And I see shadows, and I see things moving, and I'm scared. And she goes, would you come to my house, and would you sprink, uh, sprinkle holy water in my house? And I said, absolutely. What is your address? And so I thought, what an opportunity not to be afraid to cross those barriers, not to cross, not be afraid to cross those boundaries, because the gospel is so important. And if I can go into her house and pray, sign me up. I'm going to go. So I, and I wasn't saying to Tina, I wasn't saying, Tina, you are great the way you are. Just keep worshiping Buddha. Um, I was saying, Tina, you are accepted as you are in Christ Jesus. Now come and, and come and discover who Jesus is. And then in our walk, just like you and I, just like you and I, I'm not, I'm not that much different. In our walk, we have to be in community. And it's so important because in community, there's discipling. 
And there's that, like I said, those rough edges and sharp places in our life are rubbed off. And, and then there's sanctification, which is just a fancy word of saying that he's going to talk to us about things that we need to change. Maybe things that are not healthy for us. Things that will be a blessing rather than bring us down. That's what sanctification is. It's walking towards holiness. But he gives us time and he gives us room and he gives us grace to do that. The kingdom of God is about relationship between one another. It's about crossing borders and boundaries. People come first in the kingdom of God. God listens to us, and so we listen to others. Would you turn um, or direct your attention to the screens as we read about Cornelius' calls for Peter in Acts chapter 10? In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, and as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor, and he prayed regularly to God. So here we have Cornelius. He's an Italian army officer, and he was a centurion. And a centurion is a, is a rank where he probably oversaw about 100 other men. And he was stationed in Caesarea, which is a beautiful um, coastal town, community, city in Israel. And that's where he was stationed, and that's where he was um, working as a centurion. And it's interesting, because in the New Testament, centurions have a lot of favorable... There's a lot uh, to say about centurions that is favorable, I should say. For instance, the Roman um, centurion in the city of Capernaum, who came to Jesus and said, my servant is really, really sick, and he's close to dying. And Jesus said, I'll come. And the centurion said, no, just speak the word, and he'll be healed. And Jesus talks about such faith. And then there's the centurion at the cross where when he is a witness to what is happening to Jesus on the cross, he, he, he said, truly this man is the son of God. So this centurion, so Cornelius, he's devout. He's God-fearing. He respects God. He gives generously to the poor and he prays all the time. And it says this, one afternoon about 3 o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming towards him. Cornelius, the angel said. And Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your gifts, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants. Let me say that again. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Now, Joppa is another wonderful seaport um, in Israel, and it's 35 miles away from Caesarea. And here you have this Italian military man who, who gives orders, right? 
He gives orders. He's used to taking orders, and he's also used to giving orders. And so he has been given orders by this angel of God. And um, the orders are send to Joppa, send men to Joppa, get in touch with a guy named Simon Peter. He's staying with another guy named Simon um, near the sea, and have him come. Because he's used to taking orders, and I just can imagine Cornelius, or yeah, Cornelius going, you know, writing these things down. Okay, go to Joppa, check, got it, go. Find the Tanner's house. Okay, I will. Uh, find Simon Peter. All right, got it. Ask him to come. Okay. God had been preparing Cornelius for years, and there are people in our life right now that the Holy Spirit is causing a hunger for more. And I want to stop right now because I want you to know and think about those people right now that you may not know that God is giving them this urgency to know more, but there are. And so let's pray right now for those. Holy Spirit, we ask you, keep doing what you're doing in their life. Keep nudging them. Keep giving them a bigger want for you. Father, we submit our prayer to you, and we believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The question is, why didn't the angel just tell Cornelius what God wanted to say to him? Um, why not preach the gospel to him? The number one reason is God uses you and me to be the couriers of the gospel. And then you have to ask the question, why Peter? Because, okay, so Cornelius is in Caesarea, and Peter is in Joppa, 35 miles away, and that's at least a two-day journey, and that's a long walk each day. And then you have to walk back. And so... Um, his, you know, Cornelius' servants had to walk to Joppa, and then they had to walk back with Peter. And so, why? Why Peter? And then, it, where we saw in Acts chapter 8, what about Philip? I mean, Philip, he, he was probably just down the street in Caesarea. It says in um, Acts 8.40, Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the town of Azutus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So he was in Caesarea, and Philip is an evangelist. Come on, that just seems like an easier answer. But God wanted Peter to go because God wanted to do something in Peter. The church is growing up. Peter is, a, Peter is so important in the growth of the church and what God had already done in his life that there had to be an encounter right now with Peter because Peter had to grow up in some areas. God wants to use us because there are certain things in us that he wants to do, that he's going to ask us to do things that might not be comfortable or convenient, but it will set something in motion in our life. It will be something that will set us free in areas. It could be um, religiosity, legal, legalism. It could be fear, probably fear um, is a big one. And, but what will also be released in us is going to be faith. That's how our faith grows. When he asks us to do something kind of out of our comfort zone, 
he will grow in us faith. I was 18 years old. I left um, Spokane, Washington to go to Los Angeles to attend Life Bible College, which is now Life Pacific University. I had $200 in my pocket, and I needed to find a job, ASAP. And so I was hired by Coldwell Banker Management Corporation, so CBMC, and it was a complete act of God because I was completely unqualified. Um, I'm 18 years old. Hello. I, you know, I flunked typing in high school. Well, I didn't flunk it, but I didn't get a very good grade. Um, <laughs> there was a, so I worked in a high rise in Los Angeles on the 33rd floor. It was corporate real estate. And the technology even then was way over my head and it would be archaic now. But I was secretary to three managers. One day, I was called into the office of two of the women I worked for, and they wanted to talk to me. One was a professed atheist and lesbian. One was agnostic. And they asked me to tell them about my faith. Oh, my goodness. I was like a deer in headlights and scared to death. And I was thinking, I'm a first-year Bible student. Uh, school student. I need way more education right now. I wish I would have been more prepared. And then also I was all already intimidated because I felt so unqual unqualified for the job. And I'm thinking, and they hadn't found it out until now, you know, and, and I also, you know, keep in mind, this is 1977. And none of the things I was facing with facing with these women were cultural norms. I mean, it was like, Dorothy, you're not in Kansas anymore. And so, so I shared, I stumbled, I had no idea what I said when I walked out of that office. All I can say is I hope they heard about Jesus. But God orchestrated this meeting and even though I felt uncertain and unqualified, Jesus used me. And he set something in motion in me. I look back and I can only say that I hope they heard my heart and a seed was planted and the rest is up to God. Cornelius, he wanted more, but Peter needed more. So let's look at Peter. The next day, as Cornelius's messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord. Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. So what is significant about this is that what was on the sheet were things that a good Jewish person would not eat. It was not kosher. They're, they don't eat lobster. 
They don't have um, pork. They don't do bacon. I don't know how they live without those those kinds of things, but they were they were things that were against their their law, and so he used this vehicle to get to Peter because one Peter was hungry. Okay, he was up praying, and he got hungry, and he probably you know zoned out is what you know kind of what the trance, and then when God spoke to him, his first response was no. No, I would never do that. And, and yet he said, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, no, Lord. I have never. Three times. <laughs> Isn't that the pattern with Peter? <laughs> Three times he, he had to be spoken to by the Lord. And so it says Peter was very perplexed. What could the vision mean? Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. And that's a miracle in itself. The next day, he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. You know, Peter, we know Peter. We know, you know how it is when you meet somebody, and even for the first time, and you spend a little time with them, and you go away, and you go, I get them. I kind of get them. That's the way I feel about Peter. I, I really get him. Um, I hate to admit that, because I, I'm passionate about Jesus, but more times than not, I've said no, and I don't say it out loud, but in my heart, I'm, I'm kind of saying no to him because when he says go, and, and I won't, when he says step in and I just kind of pass by, or when he says commit and I start making excuses why I can't. So I, I sort of get Peter. We let religiosity sometimes get the best of us, too. I was talking to our grandson, um, and he, he was four years old, and he was asking, and this particular grandson is a very deep, thoughtful thinker, and uh, he's the kind of guy that when Jack speaks, everybody wants to listen because he doesn't say a lot, and but when he talks, it's always something you want to hear. And so he was asking me about my dad, and my dad had passed away, and um, and we called him Old Papa with our grandchildren. And so I was saying, well, you know, Old Papa, he was very, he was very sick. He he wasn't. He, it really, you know, his body hurt, and then he went to be with Jesus, and he's in heaven, and he's so happy, and everything is wonderful, and it's just so great that Old Papa's in heaven. And Jack just looked at me, and he said, well, it's not that great. He's dead. And <laughs> and I had to laugh, and 
I think, you know, how often do we make everything so spiritual, you know? And sometimes we just have to address that in our life. Are we just making everything so spiritual that it kind of just doesn't even make sense to certain people? So I kind of like Paul when he says, I'm the chief sinner. I can respect that. And uh, so... So here we have Peter, and, and, and he takes his cohort, and they go to Caesarea. So he has some, some of his Jewish friends with him, and they all go to Caesarea. And, and Peter says, you know, when he walks in the door, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection. Really, Peter? I mean, come on. <laughs> as soon as I, I was sent for, now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius said, I was praying. And he recounts the encounter with the angel and the instructions to call for Peter to come. And, and then he goes on and says, so I sent for you at once, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. There was a transformation in Peter's life, which was critical for the church. It's critical for the church today. And the Gentiles hear the good news. Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And he goes on and he talks to Cornelius and he says, you know what happened throughout Judea beginning in Galilee, where John was preaching about the message of baptism. And you know that God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then he goes on and says, and they put Jesus to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. Gentiles and Jews are there, and there's a breakthrough. The, they cross barriers and boundaries. Cornelius was the first non-Jewish convert. The church is growing up. So the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Peter asked, can anyone, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've re received the Holy Spirit just as we did. This was amazing. This was a breakthrough. This was huge, and it's huge for us. None of us would be sitting here had this not been a barrier that was broken, a boundary that was crossed, where Jewish legalism and Christian legalism is put to death. So how do we practice good theology? Good theology is generous. 
It's kind. It's with love and it's with mercy. It's with an openness to grow and to learn. Every day I have an opportunity to grow and learn, and that's good theology. Good theology also comes with a fundamental humility towards the things of God. We don't get to keep the gospel to ourselves. The fact that in Acts chapter 2, the tongues were given in other languages in order to go out to everyone. It's Jesus for everyone. Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 11. He says, then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. I want to close this morning with just three simple points. One is prayer matters. One thing that you notice in this story about these two men who had never met each other until then, that they heard from God in their time of prayer. In Psalm 141, it talks about, accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Incense rises. Our prayers are like incense, and incense rises. It doesn't go down. God hears our prayers. And the second point is that God responds to our prayers. God had this elaborate plan to share the gospel with someone who was seeking him, and Cornelius discovers all along that God had been seeking him. God had been seeking Cornelius, and Cornelius was seeking God. In Matthew 7, 7 and 8, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For anyone, everyone who asks receives. Anyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. I want you to think about who that everyone, anyone, all of them, the door is open to them if they knock. So the third point is how do we respond when God speaks to us? Do we say, yes, Lord, use me. Okay, okay, Lord, I will, I'll go. You know, whoever you are, whatever background, family, culture, experience, good and bad, those are the very tools and the beauty that the gospel will be expressed through you and to others. It's exactly what God is calling you to do. Use your culture, use your background, use your experiences to share the gospel of the, uh, the beauty of the gospel. So today you may be Cornelius, a person seeking and one who believes in God but wants more. God wants to fill you completely, give you purpose and direction, peace, and a deeper desire to know him and to share him with others. And it's simply by inviting Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life. 
acknowledging that Jesus died for our sins, acknowledging that he rose on the third day and that he is, he wants to be your Lord. Today, you may be like Peter, though, one who needs to say, I will. I will share the good news of Jesus Christ. I do want to acknowledge areas in my life that I have looked at our neighbors as others rather than the neighbors and saying, yes, yes, Lord, use me, use me. I, I'll listen, I'll love, I'll trust you with people I don't understand, I don't get, but I won't cancel them. I'll go. Maybe you're Cornelius, maybe you're Peter. Let the Holy Spirit tell you what he wants to say to you today. Would you stand with me as we end? We're going to have prayer teams up here. And if you'd like to have prayer, um, please come forward and have prayer this morning. And thank you for being here. Thank you for coming. And if you want a reminder, if God spoke to you, um, again, take a token. Let me, let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for these challenging words <laughs> that are life-giving. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, you are invited again to just speak in us, through us, to us. Give us the empowering of your Holy Spirit to go and do what the Great Commission is asking us to do. The gospel is too compelling to keep it to ourselves. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for today. In your precious name, amen. Thank you for listening. Please let us know if you have questions or would like us to pray with you. You can contact the church office most weekdays at 503-266-4444 and anytime through canbefoursquare.com.